uh, we're going to be talking about loopholes. And uh, I have some uh, loopholes that I've found in my life that I really enjoy. Uh, one of them is in Ohio, where I grew up, there was sales tax um, in a restaurant. So by law, it was a, it's a tax, it's a tax uh, loophole, which sounds like you're trying to evade taxes, but that's not quite what it is. So in a restaurant, they have to charge sales tax, but if you go through the drive-through, it's technically not in the restaurants. They can legally not charge sales tax. So if you want a quick bite to eat, you actually save some money if you go through the drive-through in Ohio than if you go in the store. Interesting little loophole. Now, that one is completely legal, just kind of like knowing what's going on. And I found some examples where he was doing research on this, of people's loopholes that uh, they found in life, some of them legal, some of them not. Uh, so I'm going to share with you the best loopholes that I could find that people posted on the internet publicly, which I will not believe. You cannot guess what people put on public forums. I mean, it's there for everybody in the world to read, man. But here it is. So I'm going to show you the best examples that I found. You have to promise me, though, that if there's anything illegal in here, you can, will not try it. Okay, I'm not going to be, I'm not liable. Were you trying to be snarky over there? No, okay. I'm not liable for anything that you read here and do. Okay, that's on you. Okay, so... <laughs> no, 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 Trina. Pastor told you not to do this. Clearly, everybody on the internet is public knowledge. I did not condone doing these things. But here they are. So, uh, I didn't find this loophole, but my friend did. A few years back, an online store had this promotion where whoever spent the most money over a month would get a free round-trip airplane ticket to anywhere in the world. My friend, who's a genius, found that one thing you could buy on the site was a $25 gift certificate. So he bought a $25 gift certificate and kept spending it on another $25 gift certificate. So he ended up spending $25 on round-trip tickets to Australia. (laughs) Pretty cool. Obviously, I'm sure that was a one-time thing for them. They probably didn't do it again. Here's another one involving airplane tickets. Years ago, you could buy American Express Traveler's checks at AAA for no additional cost. I read about how this family would buy them using credit cards that got traveling points, then turn in the traveler's checks and use the money to pay off their credit cards, but the points would stay on their account. They kept ratcheting up the limit on their cards until they were buying and returning hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of traveler's checks every month and banking millions of points. They were traveling all over the world until the companies figured it out and stopped it. It was all completely legal, though. I I, I don't think you can exploit this loophole anymore. Here's Here's one, Tanner. Not for you. At my high school, if you skip class, you get a computerized call home telling your parents that you didn't attend class, and my parents were strict about me not skipping classes. But they would hand out personal information sheets at the beginning of the year, which had all of your info on it, and you could update any of it if it had changed since the last year. So I just changed the home number to my cell phone, and all those late, call, all those late calls came to my cell instead. My parents never noticed. Okay, Tanner, not for you. Okay, here's one. I'm not sure about other states, but in California, it's illegal to have a members-only pharmacy. So Costco must let non-members get prescriptions there. However, once you are in, you can get free samples, buy dirt-cheap pizza, hot dogs, etc. 
To get in, just tell the dude at the door that you're uh, filling a prescription. If they insist on seeing it, say your doctor called in in or already had been dropped off. They won't care enough to check it with the pharmacy unless you are there so frequently. So that's how you can get into Costco for free in California if you want. Uh, Rick, not for you. Kevin, not for you. I know, John, you also like to golf. Any golfers in here, not for you. Okay? The driving range of the golf course near my old job had generic tokens they'd give you after you paid to put into the ball machine to get your golf balls for, for a driving range here. I ended up researching where to buy exact copies of them and bought a batch of 100 of them for $70. They usually cost $15 a coin. So I'm sure you got really a lot of driving practice. Here is another one for you. I have a two-year Best Buy warranty on my laptop. Every year in 300-ish days, I drop my laptop in the tub and get a brand new one worth the same amount that I paid last time. So you can just pay the cheap warranty. Rinse, repeat. Only paid for one computer in eight years. <laughs> and I'm 20. I don't know why I included the I'm 20 part. That means you started this at 12. <laughs> I just realized that's really early to be gaming the system. Yeah. Okay, here's one. Totally illegal. I, I punch in the produce code for bananas at the self-checkout lane when I buy avocados. It makes avocados, which usually cost around a dollar each, four to five for one dollar. I've probably stolen thousands of dollars worth of avocados this way. I eat one or two every day. I like how they include that little bit. I eat one or two every day. Just like, this is like public. I just Google search loopholes people like and this kind of stuff. There's a username here. Like, I'm sure someone could trace that back. Anyway. The yeah, the legend of Dylan. Okay, here's a long one. My university was trying to encourage people to walk, but it's, it's super fun. So if we downloaded a specific health tracker app that's connected to our account, it would convert steps into points. The points would get you stuff like free coffee, mugs, discounts for stuff. And the most expensive prize, a university hoodie, which cost about $30. Or 30 I think that's pounds, right? Yes. Now, the health tracking app is pretty basic. It won't let you log your steps manually. However, it does let you connect with other health apps. I found a health app that would let me add in the steps, and I logged it in an equivalent of 50 kilometers a day. And in a few days of logging manually, I would give myself a hoodie or two, and I didn't get caught. However, I told my friend about it, and he really perfected the method of getting more steps a day. Because apparently there was a hidden physical limit to how far a person can walk in a day. But he managed to trick it by setting his height to one centimeter. Because the shorter you are, the more steps you need to take to cover the same distance. So he set his height to one centimeter so he could put in a ton, a ton of steps every single day. Eventually they caught on, but it, it goes on from here. But his friend would get people free hoodies and stuff all the time. All right, last one here. At a real university I attended, parking, paid parking was actually more expensive than getting a parking ticket. So I would just park wherever and get a ticket and just pay the ticket. I'm pretty sure by now they've normalized the prices. So a guy would just get a ticket. Actually, in Chicago, it's cheaper to park on the sidewalk and get a ticket than it is to, oh, what was it? It was a comedian talking about it. It was like some kind of overnight parking or something. It's like it'd, it'd be cheaper to just park on the sidewalk and get a ticket. So I, I think my favorite line from these is, I've probably stolen thousands of dollars of the avocados this way. I don't know why, that just gets me. Not only were they stealing, but they were admitting to it. I, mean, I don't know. 
So people are absolutely crazy at what they'll say when they feel anonymous on the internet. One thing that these posts prove about loopholes is the simple fact that people are really creative when it comes to making them. And I only showed you a fraction of what I found on the internet, not to mention the many loopholes that people have found over the years and haven't posted on the internet. I'm sure that as we were going through this, you maybe thought of some loopholes uh, that you have. I'm sure Kevin, Kevin, I know Kevin has some loopholes somewhere. I'm sure they're all legal though. The reason we're talking about loopholes this morning is because the question that we're going to be looking at that Jesus asked was meant to shut down a common loophole in his day. But it wasn't dealing with avocados. It wasn't dealing with plane tickets, obviously. It was dealing with faith and living righteously. So if there is a way to abuse something, just a fact, if there's a way to abuse something, we can be assured that at least one person is going to abuse it. Someone's going to find a way. So this morning, we're finishing up our last message in our Jesus Asked series, and we're going to be primarily in Matthew chapter 23. So if you would go ahead and open to Matthew 23 with me. So Matthew 23 is a kind of a famous chapter for what are called the eight woes um, to the scribes and Pharisees. The counting is... If you want to be pretentious, there's technically only seven woes against the scribes and Pharisees, and one of them is addressed to the blind guides. We'll get there in a second. But there are eight woes mentioned in this chapter. And uh, if you aren't familiar, this is a passage where Jesus is speaking to religious leaders. And he's uh, bringing to light their wrong and perverted practices. Now, you may be wondering what we have to learn from Jesus speaking out against some Pharisees. Obviously, none of us in this room are Pharisees or scribes. So why does what Jesus say to them apply to us? Well, I think everything that Jesus says is applicable to our lives. I just want to start with that. The truth is that the same corruption that found its way into the hearts of the Pharisees can still find its way into our hearts today. So just because we don't have the title Pharisee doesn't mean we aren't guilty of thinking or acting in similar ways as the scribes and Pharisees did, albeit with a different context and maybe different variation on practices, like stealing avocados or something like that. So I don't think we should ever put ourselves in a place where we ignore what Jesus says to anyone. And on that point, let's go ahead and look at verse 1 of Matthew 23 for some context here. So then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses, which is just saying they're teachers. Therefore, all that they, all that they do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds. So listen to what they say, don't do what they do. For they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. So this chapter starts out with Jesus addressing a broad audience. He's talking to just the crowd. His disciples are there. I'm sure the scribes and Pharisees are listening. And he starts out by very pointedly calling the Pharisees a group of hypocrites. So do what they say, not what they do. And you can imagine that the tension in, this, in the air was palpable at this point. So he, he's probably 
very blatantly yelling, like talking in a loud voice saying, don't listen to the people who you've been listening to your whole life because they're hypocrites. They're, they're not good teachers. They don't do what they preach. And then Jesus takes it up a whole nother gear when he starts addressing the scribes and Pharisees personally in verse 13, uh, which is where the eight woes start. Um, as I kind of said earlier, woe is this word for grief. Oh, like woe is me. But it's also a word for judgment. So in short, when you read woe, it means that you're doing something wrong and you're being judged for it. So verse 13, let's start there. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter it yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. So then here is where we get to our question for the day. Look at verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever swears by the temple that it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. You fools and blind men. Which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the offering on it, he is obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Therefore, whoever swears by the altar, swears both by the altar and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears both by the temple and by him who dwells within it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by both the throne of God and him who sits upon it. So the first thing to take note of here is that Jesus doesn't start his rebuke in verse 16 with scribes and Pharisees. He actually starts with the phrase blind guides. This is the only time in this chapter that Jesus starts this way. On either side, Jesus is addressing the scribes and Pharisees, so it isn't too far to think that he's still talking to them, but maybe he's also broadening the term here so that it includes more people. So, what is even being talked about here? We have to understand what Jesus' point before we can start understanding what it means. So, and culturally... It doesn't make sense to us because we didn't live in his day. But to them, they lived in a place where they had a temple. They had the altar. And it was common practice in that day to make vows and oaths. 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 <laughs> not oaths. To make vows and oaths to emphasize your point. So if you were, uh, wanted to sound more righteous, if you wanted to uh, in a kind of manipulate the situation maybe, you would make an oath. To gain more favor. So you'd be like, I promise by the temple that I'm going to be doing this. Or I promise by the throne of God that this I'm going to follow through. And it's a way, a convenient way of making something more impactful. It's much like I swear in my mother's grave or I swear to God. Something that we would say today. To, to add force to our comment. And as you see here, Jesus is not so subtly destroying this loophole 
that the Jewish elite were trying to exploit. So remember, if, if there's a way to abuse something, someone is going to find a way to abuse it. So in, in Jesus' day, people did not use God's name. They, they didn't even mention him indirectly because of the fear of using his name in a shameful way. Which led to them uh, referring to other things around God as kind of a proxy to saying God himself. So they would say the temple or the altar or his throne or heaven in general. So these things served as the loophole words that would allow you to make a vow by God's name without actually making a vow by God's name. All right, so everybody knew what you're saying, but you're kind of just skirting around the edge of what was technically legal in the law. And by that, I mean the law of Moses. So it's a very convenient practice. And it makes it so you can make a promise and break it later with no consequences. Right? It was a false promise. It was an empty promise. And then if you really wanted to take your oath to the next level, you would then bow on not just the temple, but the gold in the temple. Not just on the altar, but on the sacrifice that is on the altar. And that's when people were like, well, it's getting serious here. And Jesus is breaking this down. And his question, which is greater? What is more important is what breaks down that loophole. Which is greater, the sacrifice or the altar that makes the sacrifice sacred? What's more important, the temple or what's more important, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? So Jesus is closing this, closing this religious loophole. And he's pretty much saying your semantics don't matter. If you swear by the temple or the altar or the gold or the sacrifice, it's all the same. You are swearing by God who made the temple, the altar, the gold, and the animals. He made everything. It's all about God. So if you make an oath to any of these things, you're making an oath to God. And if you break that oath, then you are in judgment to God. So the Pharisees knew this. This Old Testament law, Numbers 30 and Ecclesiastes 5, very plainly make this point. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Ecclesiastes 5. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow that you should vow and not pay. So the Pharisees know this. So if they mention God's name, they are bound by their word. But if they say, oh no, I only swore by the temple. I didn't swear by God's name. I can break this promise. See, there, there's this loophole here. Jesus is trying to close that up. So Jesus, earlier in Matthew, actually had a teaching that's in direct opposition to making oaths and vows at all. Just to mention, uh, he, he said, let your yes be yes and your no's be no. Which means, let the word of your mouth be the reflection of the sincerity of your heart. Either just say it and do it, or say no and don't do it. It's that simple. Don't try to use your words to manipulate a situation. But rather be truthful in all that you say and do. In your heart, and in your intention, be truthful. So when you make a vow on God's name, and you don't follow through with it, there's a problem. Because guess whose name is blemished? It's not yours, it's God's. And God does not want his reputation tarnished. He does not allow loose words for our meaningless promises to go unpunished. So the major point 
that Jesus is condemning here is pretty obvious, I think. Don't think that you can use a loophole to circumvent the spirit of the law. All right? That's like the major point that Jesus is contradictory. Contradictory. Just contradicting. (laughs) So he's saying, don't be blind to the truth of the word. Live by it in the heart. But there is another layer just below this point. I think that Jesus is addressing with his questions. It's the underlying thoughts and assumptions that lead to these types of problems even being there in the first place. So one underlying problem that goes all the way back to the very first sin is trying to justify our sin. This is what we call, uh, what I would like to call either sophisticated or creative sinning. Right? So this is, this is like the smart way to sin. If you're like an intellectual, you try to justify your sin. And it, it gets even worse is when you try to justify your sin by using scripture, which is exactly what the Pharisees were doing in Matthew 23. They said, ah, technically, I didn't use God's name in my vow, so I don't have to keep it. That is justifying your sin. That's justifying a poor decision. It's justifying you using God's commandments to your own benefit. There's also this other underlying problem, which is where there is this misvaluation of things going on here. They, they valued the temple, or they valued the gold more than the temple. They valued the sacrifice more than the altar. They thought that what they provided was more valuable than what God had already provided. And I think there's an equivalent problem in the modern church that we can run into, which is where we value someone's spiritual gift and what they contribute to the congregation rather than realizing that God is the one who originally provides them, right? God is the one who originated this congregation in the first place. And it all comes from God. It's all going back to God. Everything is for his glory. And so we need to be careful not to see people as valuable and in the sense as you're more valuable because you do this and this, and this person is less valuable because they don't contribute in the same way or they don't have the same spiritual gift. Paul preaches about how all gifts are equal. So let's not get in that same mindset of devaluating things or putting valuations that aren't correct. There's also uh, this underlying problem of man valuing their traditions and practices over the heart of God's law. So this gets Christians into all kinds of trouble, and it hurts a lot of non-believers as well. There is a lot of false barriers that have been put up that stop people coming to Christ because of our traditions, of our man-made things. So there's kind of this underlying problem that led to them thinking that their traditions justify them breaking these oaths. And I think it can be the same for us. I wonder how we're guilty of the same kind of thinking. That's kind of a hard question to ask ourselves. It's an honest take that's hard to swallow. Because we, too, can be blind, just like the Pharisees, these, these blind guides who could regurgitate doctrine and recite prayers and quote Bible passages, but they missed the simple truth that was right in front of them. And this whole series, I think, could have actually just been about blindness, because we talked about it for three out of the four Sundays. That there is just some kind of spiritual blindness that Jesus needs to lift from our eyes so that we can see so that we aren't walking around with an air of knowledge 
and righteousness, but we actually are truly seeing knowledge and righteousness and wisdom from Jesus' perspective. So in this passage, I think we've learned some things that we can apply to our lives here. Number one, how is Jesus calling you to adjust your perspective? So maybe there have been some thoughts in your head this morning that God is using to help uh, direct you towards how you can change your thinking and change what you're doing. What hypocrisy does Jesus see in your life? That's really the question. And that's the problem with hypocrisy. It's, it's really hard to see it. We don't want to see it. We don't want to admit it. But I think it's reading scripture like this that we read this morning that helps us to open our minds to the possibility that we aren't doing everything the way that we should. That we aren't perfect. Number two, adjust your values. Jesus asked the Pharisees, which is more important, multiple times. Not only in Matthew 23, but everywhere, uh, but elsewhere in the Gospels, such as when Jesus says, you tithe on your spices, but you neglect the weightier points of the light. You get some things right, but you're, you're overvaluating some things and undervaluing other things. And when we get into our routines and traditions, when we get comfortable, I think our priorities get out of whack. So our daily lives steal our attention. And when we choose as a church or as individuals to do things outside of God's main priority, that's when we know that our values are out of whack. It's when we aren't focused on God's kingdom and his righteousness. We always need to be asking ourselves, how does this love God and how does this love other people? How does this further his kingdom? And if we continually ask those questions, we'll be in the right place. Last one here. Obviously, don't look for loopholes. Right? Especially when it comes to following God's commands. I mean, the Ohio tax through the drive-thru is fine. You can take advantage of that loophole. It's totally illegal. If you want to, you can find other legal and honorable things to do that save you time and money and convenience. But when it comes to following God's commands, don't look for loopholes. As we saw in the examples this morning, loopholes often live in gray areas. <laughs> they are often a little murky. And they're sometimes just straight up wrong. And we use them anyway, even if they're wrong or gray, because they're convenient and they feed our selfishness. So you need, if you find yourself asking... How far does this line go? Like, where is quite the edge? Or if you find yourself saying, well, there is this small exception to just stop yourself there, right? Go back to point number two. Does it fall in love, a fall in line, excuse me, with God's value? Does it uh, fall in line with his purpose and plans? And if not, readjust it. Don't go for that loophole. So we're faced with the honorable and yet difficult task of living our daily lives for God. And we don't want to be blind guides leading other blind people. We want to be enlightened and filled with wisdom as we lead. So let's not lose track of the fundamentals in favor of something that's more convenient or self-serving. I know that we will continue to do great things as a church for God's kingdom if we simply Narrow our focus on loving God and loving other people and keeping it simple. Please pray with me this morning. 
God, I thank you so much for the wisdom of your son and how he teaches us and everything that he says. I pray that you would teach us to love not just the words of your law, but also the spirit and the meaning behind them. That we can truly come to understand all that you've commanded us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.